welcome back to our listeners. And I'm here again with my co-host, Patrick Fitzmaurice. Hello, Roz. It's great to be here. Patrick and I are super, super excited. We have a very, very exciting guest with us today, Ellen Windermuth. Ellen is the CEO of Off the Fence and the Water Bear Network. She is also the head of the Jackson Film Festival Board. Ellen, welcome to the Change Cultivators podcast. Very nice to be here. Hello, Roz. <laughs> it's great to have you. Ellen, so you have a very long history in the film and documentary space. Um, you founded Off the Fence in 1994 after working for some massive brands such as Fremantle and Atlantis. And under your leadership, uh, Off the Fence acquired and produced and co-founded more than 6,000 hours of content. And very excitingly, and I know a lot of our listeners will be super interested to hear about this, you were recently the brands and the executive producer behind the Netflix hit, My Octopus Teacher. And now, as if that's not enough, you are hot on the heels of launching your new uh, network called Water Bear, the Netflix of documentary and wildlife TV. So you've had a very, very exciting and long journey. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about where you started and what has motivated you as a person to keep pushing ahead and reinventing yourself in, in this ever-flowing business that you find yourself in. Well, that's a great question to start with because when I, when I think back as to why I started doing what I was doing, it's because um, there was no space for people like me. Um, you, you need to sort of think about it. It was the mid eighties. I had left college. I went to college. I went to Brown in the United States. And a lot of people who went to Brown are generalists. So they're just curious people, but they don't have any special skills. So I was one of those people. And on top of that, I was a, a young woman and there really was no space for people like me. Uh, in New York, which is where I decided to start my career. So uh, I had to make that space by ingratiating myself um, to people to type for them, even though I couldn't type or to go to the dry cleaners for them. So in any case, I sort of worked my way through the television business. Um, and I got a job when I was about 24 years old, uh, where one of my employers discovered that even though I was American, I spoke languages, which at the time Americans really didn't do. And he therefore said, hey, you speak you know, German, French, and Spanish, and reasonable English. Why don't you go buy films and sell them? And I did not really want to buy films and sell them, but because it was the first normal job I got that was um, a job that needed sort of half a brain, I sort of said, okay, great, I will do that. So that's how I got into television distribution. I got into the international television business. Um, and I, I, I went to Japan for the first time when I was 24. Um, and I remember that was a really big deal for me. So that's how I, how I got going. And after uh, I worked another couple of those day jobs, which inevitably led for you know the deals I made to be announced by my bosses in the press to be their own, I thought I can actually spend the rest of my career making men look good, or I could just step into empty space and do it for myself. Um, and that is why I started off the fence. I thought, hey, let's have a go at this and just put my own name on it. 
We and you know your passion areas. We were kind of prepping a little bit. This whole passion you have around the uh, environmental and the nature space, right? So how did you get there? And then uh, after we explore that a little bit, I'd love to kind of dig in and say, like, what did you learn from that that our listeners may take for change? But first, tell us a little bit, like, how did you get there? How did you get in that space? I was always in that space. In that, in my free time, if I could go climb a mountain, I would. If I could go hike or if I could go camp, I would. And I, I always felt um, very close to nature, very nurtured by nature. I didn't find a way to combine the two until, strangely enough, I was invited to go to South Africa. And uh, I, I took some hikes through the bush and I was working on a production for someone uh, that was shooting a drama series in South Africa and I thought, this is crazy. The BBC is coming into this country with, you know, crews of 40 people filming this beautiful nature and taking it all back home. Why can't we do more of this here? And that was actually the core thought for my company Off the Fence. I wanted to help local filmmakers, uh, local directors write stories, create stories and frame them in a way uh, so that the international broadcasters like BBC or Discovery would actually work with them directly. And I, I, I slotted myself into that. I made that happen. And that's what my company is founded on. So very naturally, I got into nature and, and wildlife filmmaking by being in South Africa and from there fanning out into other parts of Africa. That's awesome. And, and, and Roz and our producer, Gareth, always like to remind me that great things always come out of South Africa is usually what they tell me. So apparently that's true in your case as well. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to kind of dig into that connectivity, right? This notion of you found your passion space and you built up a skill set and a track record of success in, in producing and content development, et cetera. And you also kind of connected that to your passion space. You must have learned an awful lot about, you know, how people kind of connect and how people engage in these kinds of stories along the way. So, you know, our listeners really get passionate about what can I think about as I drive humans, right, who are just creatures in nature through change and kind of get them kind of con connected with the ability to kind of build change in their life or in their corporate careers, whatever that may be. What has it taught you about being a producer in that space and identifying stories and telling stories? Like what has, what have you learned that are, that are tidbits that you, you just say, these are really interesting things that your perspective uniquely brings to us understanding the space of change, evolution, et cetera. That's a really good question. Um, I think I have a proclivity because my mother is American and my father was German. So I grew up between two cultures. I then traveled a lot and I had to go in my early years, I had to go sell television. And in my time of building off the fence, I had to sell stories uh, to people from all walks of life in all kinds of different countries. So something I spent a lot of time doing is I asked people, how do you experience this? And what's your life like? If I show you this film, how do you experience it? Um, and learning how many different people respond to different triggers when it comes to a strong story was uh, something I found really fascinating. And a lot of people who do a lot of traveling do the same thing. They'll actually travel to a country they've never been to before. They will listen to what a person is saying, but they will also feel what a person is conveying. Uh, 
So if you do both and you put those two together, then you realize that there is a film language that is quite universal um, and that that puts you into a really interesting space as a storyteller. Um, and it also puts you into a world that changes all the time. I, it's it's really fascinating because you do, and you used a word that I love, and I, the quote that I wrote down is, you know, you think about how people will experience this, um, and you know, truthfully, I've observed that that's a gap in a lot of parts in in business, right? It's like I do this thing, I don't really care how people experience it. You know, the the concept of customer experience management has gotten stronger and stronger. And thinking about what kind of either retail experience you're delivering or user experiences through apps and things has certainly kind of gotten an uptick over the past decade plus yep. to really think about that. You know, are there some universal truths about how you've seen, you know, these are some common ways that people do experiencing things. And if you're going to be a storyteller and you're going to engage them, you need to flip the lens to them and understand how they're going to experience what you're trying to engage them in. Is there a couple of universal truths around that, that you found compelling as you've kind of built a narrative around any kind of topic? Yes. I think there's a universal truth in that you have to let the person talk to you. Um, a lot of people try to sell ideas or try to sell their concept of a story. They don't leave any air for the person to actually tell them first. So I, I always let people tell me first. I let, I let people tell me first how they're feeling. I let people tell me first what they're looking for, what they're hoping for. Uh, and, and, and that's the only way to start designing a good story. You have to really... And also I, I listen to their words. Different people from different nationalities choose words very differently. And I write down their key words. That's another thing that really helps me. But I, I don't just listen with my ears. I, I really listen with my gut. Yeah, Ellen, that's beautiful. And I think that comes out really beautifully in My Octopus Teacher, the story of uh, Craig in uh, his journey. Um, and it's just such a wonderful narrative and it's become a global phenomenon I know most continents have have, have plugged into the, the wonderful film that you were the executive producer mm -hmm. of. You know, the, the film's set in Cape Town um, and it is with your dear friend Craig, who you've known for many, many yeah. years. Tell our listeners a little bit about what motivated you to produce the film. Uh, you and I have spoken about the very real element of human beings getting out of their flow, which I think is a very, very interesting concept. And you speak about it in, in your thinking behind the production of, of the film. Yeah. Could you unpack this a little bit for our listeners in light of the film and in light of human nature um, and really specifically, you know, what it means for the human spirit and their functioning in life and in, and in business? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I have known Craig for 25 years. We've made a number of different films together. The very first film we made together was about San Bushman um, and actually was around very similar subject matter. Um, and, and it was therefore very easy um, to get to this film because I visited Craig regularly. And when I visited him, one day I heard that he was feeling very ill. So I, I saw him and we spent a few years um, just chatting because he was feeling a bit better and he started filming again. And then once he met the octopus, we realized now there is, is a film. And the reason it was such an important film for me is because something very familiar was happening to a very good friend of mine. And this very familiar phenomenon is that 
it happens to a lot of us and it's happened to me that you know you get to a point where you have you know you've been married you've had your children you're you're pursuing this hectic career it's exciting but also very demanding and all of a sudden you hit this wall and and you realize you're no longer in a good flow you're no longer comfortable with what you're doing and your brain you know brains are terrible because they keep going but the body will stop you one day you know it, it will happen that the body will just stop it will just oversaturate with adrenaline and it will just say you're not moving and that's where craig was he just couldn't move uh to keep doing that crazy hectic stuff he was doing as as a cinematographer in all these you know working in all these dangerous areas um so i i hooked into it because i care about craig a lot but i also hooked into it because it's such a familiar phenomenon and people around me um make choices when these things happen to them and some of them basically go to a bunch of doctors and and pump themselves full of antidepressants and then continue on on this very same path even though their soul is kicking and screaming and other people listen and i loved that craig listened and i thought that that's what really made it such an authentic story he listened and he changed his whole life it's really cool and and if if you allow me to indulge in my little fascination with your industry right um and and you're making me think of ken burns right so my yeah. reference point is right you're thinking of ken burns and um you know love the whole you know so the civil war documentary is classic yeah. and he was more i think his most recent one was country music which is a fascinating area for us and raz if, yeah. if you live in nashville raj and you haven't consumed country music shame on you you need to listen I, to my you, my husband is a country music yes, uh, guy i consume to, it every day you, you need to you need to get through ken burns's documentary on country music but the the I, I was listening to a podcast with ken uh i forget who was doing the interview it may have been tim ferris who was interviewing um ken burns and the fascinating part to me is like you got to give time to let these stories nurture and you got to find them or they got to reveal themselves to them. And the fascinating thing that I'll kind of turn into a question for you is, you know, he literally has these books of idea of uh, story ideas, things that he could explore to do documentaries about. And they're varied all over the place from, you know, as I said, civil war to country music to everywhere in between. Um, how do you go through that process of creating that content and, and identifying the things that you think will be a, a passion area for you to work on? Because clearly that's important. I hear it in your voice, but be something that you think um, is worthy of being told and then packaging in a way. So I just, it's a little sidebar to our conversation, but I just find it fascinating for everybody to kind of get to the root of this nature of origination of story. I think that um, it's very similar, I think, with, with other filmmakers. Um, we keep files and drawers and spaces and notes on concepts that have zeitgeist, things we pick up out of the air because we're all having this common experience living on our planet at the moment, right? So it's not surprising that I will pick something out of the air, but suddenly I'll speak to a friend of mine in Santa Monica and he's just thought of the same thing. Um, that is real. That does happen. And storytellers very often experience that. Um, so I have an arsenal of ideas uh, and the teams that I work with, I work with two teams, the water bear team and the off the fence team. They also have arsenals of ideas. 
and we pick them up sometimes because of something we read or sometimes indeed because of, you know, Tim Ferriss is a really good example for a fantastic podcast. You pick things up and then it happens um, quite often that I pick up a thought in a newspaper article and a friend happens to call me the next day to give me a different angle on it. And as soon as I feel this tension between the two angles or three angles to a story, I think now let's make a note of that. That's fascinating. But all good stories um, are about transformation. All good stories are about this kind of dynamic tension that leads to transformation. Let me connect that to leadership really so you know, a lot of our listeners are leaders of teams and organizations and full candor, they and I, as leader of team, often don't think like you just said, right? Leaders of teams are about operationalizing something that they're running on. It's making it work efficiently. It's driving um, efficiencies and profit on it along the way. Very little time, I might argue, is spent in where is the bigger idea here? Where do we go? As you kind of bridge that thinking about story origination to you know leadership and really what makes effective leadership i know you've you're you're fascinatingly to me have been excelled in both of those worlds what do you see like how do you connect the dots like how do we get leaders out of the rut of operational leadership into more of this consume contextual knowledge understand ideas be ready to put those out what have you learned that you, you know you think is something that should be transferred more into business leadership well i think that um I think there are people who are amazing at operations. Um, and for instance, my partner, the man I live with, he's a COO and he is amazing at workflow and he puts a lot of creativity into workflow. I think those people are crucial. And I think if you are one, A, you're worth your weight in gold and B, you don't have to digress much. If you are a really great workflow man or woman, I think stay on it. On the other hand, if you're a CEO, more of a leader, you really need to spend time on the story of your company. Um, every company has a great story to tell, and um, especially large companies struggle with getting their employees to go to work on Monday mornings because there's no story. Why should I do it if I'm just sitting behind my screen, wherever it is, doing the same job I did yesterday and last week? So I like to spend time uh, on my company's story. I spend a lot of time on my company off the fences story, and we're spending a lot of time on Water Bear's story. But I also feel that it's important to make your colleagues, the employees of the company, conscious of the fact that they're creating that story with you. You are a tribe and you are making it up as you go and the color and look and feel of that tribe is the sum total of everybody's contribution to it and that is exciting for people then they will come with you for the ride yeah and you, you talk about storytelling and to want to tell the story you've got to be engaged and excited and you talk about you know your partner the COO the workflow which is the more technical side and I'm going to pull you back to keeping in your flow you know because you and I spoke about that before and I just loved the concept which is when a person gets out of their flow that's when things go wrong and you spoke about your personal flow um so I think there's two parts here you talk operational flow which is so important and you know that personal flow which then allows you to come together and have fun and do the storytelling so just chat a little bit more about you know your your thinking because it's such a beautiful narrative of 
what happens when a person gets out their flow and how do they get out their flow and what goes wrong in life and in, and in business? Well, I think the, you know, I think the worst thing that can go wrong is that you have a picture of yourself that does not correspond with who you are or what you're good at. Um, and that picture is a projection that can happen um, from a lot of pressure, from a lot of sides, uh, maybe even your own uh, uh, superiors that are trying to push you in a certain direction. It's very easy to get out of your flow. Um, it's very easy to listen to other people or to react to other people's projections on the kind of executive or the kind of CEO they think you should be or what they think you should be able to do. Um, it, I think that, you know, and, and I've been lucky because I've been an entrepreneur. I, I haven't been an employee because I think the danger of being pushed um, and also, especially for women, um, you know, the, the, this kind of inherent wish to please can be a really terrible thing when you get under this, when you get into this corporate press pressure and people are trying to push you into doing things that, that make you feel very tired. You know automatically when you, whether you're in flow or not, because when you're in flow, you, you lose track of time. You have no idea what, it's, what it is. Suddenly you look up and it's 7 p.m. You have no idea where the day went. That's a wonderful feeling. And it's because you were able to be creative and you were probably able to do what you do best, whatever that is. But when you're out of flow, obviously mm. time really drags and your life really drags and you're tired all the time. And the, 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 what that can lead to is adrenal fatigue. And Ellen, what are some practical tips for our listeners? So you've got a boss or, as you say, you know, woman in, in, in a man's world or whatever it is, you know, and there's these expectations on you, you know, whoever it is, you know, your boss, gender, race, whatever, all these things you're supposed to be that we live with. So there's expectations on you and then you want to do well, but at the same time you need to keep in your flow to be effective and to do you know, the best that you could be. So what are some practical tips you, you could give to our listeners to say, how do you balance the two? How do you keep focused on making sure that you stay passionate, but at the same time, you're still delivering where you need to without going against the, the flow? <laughs> I do two things. One thing is when I start feeling pushed by anything, it can be circumstances, it can be a crisis, it can be a disagreement, it can be a disgruntled client, um, I, I, I tell myself, watch. So I, I step out of my brain and I watch Ellen and Ellen's mind having to figure out what's happening. So as soon as I step outside of my mind, and I look down, it's like looking down. You pull out, it's like you zoom out and you look down, you say, watch. So I, I tell myself to watch in situations like that. That immediately makes it easier for me to make a decision. I guess the other thing, the second thing, is that I, I like to picture, I like to zoom out to an even bigger picture. And that is in, in our really original state, we're neither young nor old. We don't really have a gender. We don't really have an ethnic background. We are just people. And we do have a common consciousness. And so instead of, instead of sort of painting myself in a corner, defining who I am, uh, Bob Dylan said, 
I am not on this earth to find out who I am. I am on this earth to express myself. I think that's what we should be doing. So that's really the second technique. I, I, I'm, I'm not anywhere, you know, I'm nowhere. That means I am now here. When I feel I'm nowhere, it means I am now here. That's a good place to be. That's where you're conscious. That's where you can make decisions. So those are my, my little, few of my little tricks. Yeah, so it's so not going good. against the grain. It's really just making sure you're grounded in yourself all the time keep with the expectations around yeah. you. Keep watching. You have to keep watching. And there's an element of this that we've heard a lot in some of these discussions um, of a, a, a huge amount of self-awareness, right? Of like, and it's like a really kind of an authenticity of self in a lot of ways. And yeah, I can hear it in you and our listeners can hear it in you that that's clearly a trait that anchors you, right? You can step back and look at the bigger picture. You can step back and watch yourself because you actually have a sense of, of a pretty strong sense of self. I'm also thinking of Cassandra Worthy, who we, we, we had on the show. Um, and Cassandra was, I, I forget what word she uses, a civil engineer by training, working at Procter & Gamble, and then just realizes that that's not her. And she is one of the most effusive, energetic. She built an entire firm on change enthusiasm. And the word enthusiasm actually underdescribes uh, what her core, core self is because <laughs> she is just so energetic and passionate. But I love this notion of to, to be good at all of that, there's an awareness of self. And so uh, two things I'd love to just touch on. A, how did you get that, right? How do you, you went all the way back to your time coming out of, you know, coming out of university and having to find uh, an area to excel in. There's a sense of self in that narrative that you told, but I think leaders sometimes lose their sense of self. They lose like, no, this is what, who I am and what I stand for. Can you riff on that a little bit? Cause I just hear that thread that's so critically important to leadership in times mm-hmm. of change. I think the sense of self grows when you do understand that you're on this earth to express yourself. And that gives a lot of space when you say, well, I, there's nothing to find. I'm, you know, I am who I am. I am what I am, but I'm here to express myself. How am I going to do that? That gives you much, much more choice, a much wider scope than saying, Oh my God, like a needle in a haystack, I'm going to go find out who I am. (laughs) That's far less efficient. So I think that's, I think that's one thing. Um, and and uh, the, other, the other reason why I think I had to do it is because I didn't have much to hang on to in the beginning. I think I started our conversation by saying there was no place for a person like me. Um, professionally, I didn't in anywhere. I had the wrong gender. And culturally, I came from two very, very strong cultures, German and, and American. So there was really no belonging. And when people have that no belonging, this, this sort of rootlessness, that is when they tend to become entrepreneurs. So I think there are a lot of people like me that then say, well, if I don't fit in, I'm not going to force myself to fit right. in, but I'm going to just step out and create my own space. Yeah. And I'm going to go find and assemble my own my own people and that's how it works oh, the last last comment on this um and it's kind of a provocative question i guess can you be a good storyteller if you actually don't have a good sense of self hmm. i think you need a really good sense of self because that's the, the the point of departure if you don't have a good sense of self you can't relate to others if you can't feel what someone else feels like or at least approximate what someone else feels like you can't tell them a story so I would encourage our listeners to pause, 
rewind a little bit about 20 seconds and go back to that answer, right? That's a leadership masterclass in saying, look, if you don't have a sense of self, you won't create a compelling narrative. You won't, to use your words, Ellen, help your tribe make stories together. You won't be able to help people make a space what they're doing. And so this notion of sense of self and coming at leadership from an authentic, ownable place um, is really critical. So yes, rewind, go back. And after you do that, listeners, do it again, um, because it's really an interesting way to kind of really force that notion of storytelling. And storytelling is critically important. And you can't tell compelling stories, according to Ellen, the great storyteller we're with, unless you're coming from a place of a good sense of self as your starting point. So thank you for that. That was, uh, that's coming with me. I'm um, thank you. And I will always credit you for that. So thank you. So Ellen, staying on the, on the topic of storytelling, uh, you are launching Water Bear. Um, and I, I touched on it earlier for our listeners. Water Bear is going to be a, if the first interactive streaming platform that is dedicated to the future of our planet. It's also been described as the free Netflix for wildlife documentaries, a very, very exciting new entry to the market. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about your vision for this model. You know, I think it's very interesting in that you are creating a new category, you know, which is bringing wildlife to corporates and NGOs. And, you know, we talk to a lot of our guests about purpose-led branding. You know, you can slap a logo onto a car or a pair of shoes or whatever it is, but real purpose-led branding is what's driving the market today. And you guys have such a wonderful model with Water Bear in the way you are bringing wildlife, you know, the UN sustainable goals, you know, global issues into corporates and branding and sponsorship and all this sort of thing. So really what got you thinking about launching this platform. And, and like I say, you know, I love uh, the book Think Bigger. It talks about new category creation. And I think Water Bear is really just the epitome of new category creation in blending, you know, the world into corporate and, and you know, the, the bigger consciousness in which we, we're living in. Hmm. Um, yes, the, the Water Bear Network is um, an interactive uh, video platform um, about our future on this planet. So the Water Bear Network starts uh, with where I think everything starts, and that is with the human relationship with nature. It's not strictly a, a natural history or wildlife network at all. We uh, are working through all 17 UN Sustainable, sustainable Goals, um, and we're starting with biodiversity because I think the story of man starts with uh, man-woman's relationship with nature. Um, we are going to move through all of the um, sustainable development goals throughout our first cycle of a year. And we are working, uh, we've already onboarded 75 uh, wonderful uh, NGOs just for the first quarter, which is this um, uh, biodiversity. Uh, so we have you know, WWF, we have IFAW, we have Sea Shepherd, we have uh, 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 Conservation International, we have African Parks. I mean, all of them have come together in an unprecedented move to be willing to be on the same platform. So each of them, with each of their stories and each of their projects will have their own page, but the front shop window will be the water bear shop window of acquired films and uh, uh home-produced, self-produced short films that really take people into our world. And the reason why I started Water Bear was because I would like 
a, a wide audience to have access to our world. Um, we have a world where we know a lot about science. We know a lot of people who do amazing work in the field. We know a lot of people who do fantastic social projects. And, you know, we live in this world of curious people who got to be documentary filmmakers. So for everybody else, um, access to this world would be very empowering. And the reason why we chose the SDGs the Sustainable Development Goals is because it's the only set of values that all UN countries have agreed upon. So that's like 200 countries, right? It's like 190, 200 countries. And working with those values and what those values mean can be expressed in storytelling. And by telling those stories, people won't intellectually understand what the SDGs are. They will absorb what the SDGs are. And I'm hoping that we will therefore find a large platform of compatible people that will want to watch the stories, that they can share them online, they can volunteer, they can donate to these fantastic NGOs that have all signed on, they can go work in the field themselves. If they can sign up to a program, we want to redefine eco-travel, um, and we want to also do merchandising with goods from uh, local economies that need uh, more local commerce. So it's a really big exercise of interacting with our world, in our world, becoming part of our world. And that audience is quite large. You'll find that the people that engage on a various sort of multifunctional, very interactive level are going to be the younger ones, you know, the Generation Zs and, 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 you know, a bit younger, a bit older. And then there will be the older people that just like to lean back and watch a movie. Um, and it's a beautifully curated uh, uh, set of content. Then, of course, are the more academically minded people who suddenly can search, for instance, if they want to know about who's doing programs on baboons, they can search and they can find every NGO that has a program on baboons or everybody who's working on rhinos or anybody who's doing something on ocean plastics, they can find in this one place. So it's a really multifaceted, cool place to be. So really cool. And we love transformational ideas here, here at changecultivators.com, right? Really transformational ideas to bring content to life in this state. Um, we also talked a little bit before about storytelling and the fact that words and terms really matter. So how did this transformational idea end up being called water bear? Well, a water bear is uh, a tardigrade. And a tardigrade is a tiny little micro animal about one and a half millimeters long. And this little guy can withstand nuclear radiation. He can live on the bottom of the ocean. There was recently a couple of million of them were spilled on the surface of the moon. And if you leave a water bear out in the desert for several years, his DNA will crumble, but you can go back and just add water and he will come back to life. So we like water bears and water bears stand for the resilience of nature and in a way also for the resilience of the human spirit. I somewhat suspected there was a really good story there and I was not disappointed. <laughs> Ellen, um, I think one of the interesting things about water bear is that it's going to be a free 
subscription service. So the viewers will not have to pay. So it is not like a Netflix or a Hulu or Spotify. Um, And it's free. So I mentioned this new category creation. We had, uh, you know, we've had some fantastic people in the sports sponsorship and the corporate world coming in saying how sponsorship is really changing. And obviously with COVID, things like live sports events and marketing and all that is changing. You guys are really pushing forward in a new genre of corporate sponsorship with this because if I'm not mistaken, keep me honest here, the service is free to the viewer. But yep. the corporates and the and the NGOs, well, maybe not the NGOs, but the corporates will be funding their involvement, which then in turn you pull back into their brand positioning as a company. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that model, because I think particularly for corporates and brands and, and everyone in the sponsorship area, this is a very revolutionary model that you mm-hmm. guys are bringing in here. Mm-hmm. Well, the corporate sponsorship model means that corporate sponsors can – Uh, sponsor either the whole thing or certain pieces of content on the Water Bear front page. There is going to be a division between the documentary slash entertainment on the Water Bear front page and, of course, each of the NGOs because corporate sponsors and NGOs can't just be automatically uh, combined. That is up to every NGO. You know, NGOs accept... donations from very, very specific corporations for very, very specific things. But Water Bear on the uh, entertainment side, that is all of the self-produced content, the curated content, which is the content we buy, um, and the entire kind of front, um, I guess the front yard of Water Bear, that's where corporate sponsors can come in. That's where they can get active and say, I really want to get behind, you know, this specific issue on women's rights or I really want to be associated with ocean plastics or I really want to deal with earth corrosion or I want to be about trees. They can do that on Water Bear um, and they can do it either by sponsoring or by commissioning branded content. And then you will take the work in that area and help them implement that into their company. So what what is our theme for the business? It is environmental it is plastics and then you will help you will give the corporates the content to then take into their corporate programs which is fantastic we can and we we also just as a service we can match make corporates with ngos once we find what a corporate is looking for where they find you know where they want to get active we can also just say you know what you guys should be working with these people in ecuador or you should be working with these wonderful people in brazil Um, so we're hoping that we can make this call to action faster. Yeah, and it's such a fascinating time to be in that space. So I love the brilliance of the whatever concept that I'm hearing, right? Because so many, and I'm thinking mostly of, you know, major consumer packaged goods company, major brands across the globe or major retailers. um, I would argue they're kind of late to the party in many cases, and they're coming to this party um, in a reactionary way versus a strategic proactive way. And it may not feel authentic and I won't call anybody out. Right. But, um, you know, having, having kind of touched on a number of our clients and we get, you know, we get exposed to what, what their sustainability initiatives is, whether it is, you know, um, nutrition, sustainability, whether it's, you know, 
economic, whether it's equality, whether it's, you know, all of the things you're talking about. How yeah. do you have any tips as, 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 as these corporations are trying to bridge the gap and they know they have to connect their brands in an authentic yeah. way because people will see yeah. through it if it's not. Um, what are you learning as you try to do this matchmaking process? Because I would argue a lot of the stuff that I see in the marketplace is somebody jumping on a, an issue and it's not the core to what their brand and their message is, but it feels like some leader is making a decision that they actually have to stand for something. So let's go there. Yeah. Are you learning? things through this process that you think are really helpful I as am. people deal with that disruption? I, I am. I, I think it's true that, you know, a number of corporate corporations are getting involved in um, what I would call sort of business for purpose or, or uh, impact, right? They're, they're trying to get involved in impact and it feels very cobbled on. It feels very stiff and it feels very unauthentic. And I very often feel such a drive from the corporate mm. to just want to sell that product that I can say right away, this is never going to work. If you're trying to, if you're still trying to just sell that product, you, you don't have a place on Water Bear. We have to accept a wider responsibility. And the beauty of business is everyone in business is dynamic and trained for fast response. So if we want to affect the way things are happening uh, on our planet and with our planet at the moment, especially around things like climate and pollution and biodiversity and poverty and you know, inequality and all of those things, then we, we should be looking to our businesses and not to our politicians because there's nobody more reactionary than people in sort of local politics or uh, 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 big leaders um, you're not going to get change from them. You will not get it, but you will get it from business. You can create this upswell. Um, and, and I feel that, for instance, I know a number of CEOs, they're very versed in the SDGs. They're very clever. They're very fast. If their company needs to change, it will change. Those are the people I want to have on board. Those are the people we want to work with. Perfect. Thank you for that. So, Ellen, as we, we wrap up, I want to I bring the conversation back to you uh, on a personal level because I think a lot of uh, the success around, you know, the things we've spoken about, and I'm so excited to watch Water Bears progress, just having met you and also your team. I think you have such a fantastic team and everybody is just so, so passionate. Um, so, you know, you've got such a deep passion for what you do. That's so obvious in the conversation we've, we've had today. Um, and as we close, I would love you just to tell our listeners a little bit what drives you personally as a person. I think you've touched on some of the points, obviously, throughout the conversation, but you've pushed a lot of boundaries. I mean, it's very obvious from your early days in New York to creating new categories to really putting yourself out there and, you know, going into that unknown, uncomfortable space. I mean, I, I even look at the you know, the story around how you sold my octopus teacher to Netflix, you know, everybody wants these wonderful, fluffy, happy ending stories. And you stood your ground and said, no, I tell documentaries about real life. You know, you've really stood your ground um, and, and kept in your flow. Um, you know, tell our, our listeners just a little bit as we wrap up about what, you know, what are the two or three things that really drive you every day as a person? Well, again, it's very simple. Um, I've lived a fantastic life um, and I have three children um, and I, I get up every day um, thinking 
how can I improve their future? How can I improve the future for them and for their children? How can I give them um, an adulthood that is as free and fun and dynamic as mine was? I think that's one thing. And the other thing is we're facing a lot of heavy stuff at the moment, um, politically and environmentally. And I suffer from that. I, I share that pain with everybody else. We, we have that in common. Um, and what I do about it is I, you know, inevitably the thing that, that keeps me going, the thing that sort of gets me out of feeling really worried um, or, or blue or hopeless is when someone calls me and just tells me that fantastic thing has just happened and there's someone somewhere on earth who has just discovered something amazing, written something amazing, you know, somebody who has just been saved from a tiger shark by a humpback whale. And I just think, yes, this is where I belong. This is the story I want to tell. And this is the person I want to support. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing some of your perspectives and wisdom with our listeners. I would have everybody look that up. I think the website is up, Ellen, at waterbearnetwork.com so yeah. people can engage yeah. in that they community. Can sign and some up. Content. Excellent. So I would just encourage everybody on that journey. Again, as I said before, we love big transformational ideas that change cultivators. It's kind of what we stand for, helping people really to address those. And your couple of points in your career that we got a chance to touch on are just such great moments for that in your personal personal narrative and the success you've had. So thank you. Thank you for sharing those perspectives with our group. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure to speak to you both.